thanks for tuning in. You're listening to From A to Gen Z with Connie Castle and Jale Brazel, cultural commentary and celebrity chat from two Gen Zers. Hello, welcome everyone to season two, episode three. Woo! Lovely to have you here. So we are recording this in the second week of May 2021. Year of our Lord 2021, year of the <laughs> pandemic 2021. Um, so the shops have actually been open for a while. And I know you've been, Connie, yes, to some shops. I know you've How been the as well. Um, it was so exciting. It's been so long since I tried something on in a shop properly. Um, because I was doing a bit of the classic, like, sneak on a skirt in the shop like hide behind a clothing <laughs> rail and try something on yeah um, back when the clothes were open I'm, I'm thinking some of that probably was um mm. but it was very exciting to go into a fitting room properly for yeah the first time in in more than a year probably um yeah. I bought some new jeans but yeah how did you find it I want to know you yeah no it was good I went when it was really busy I actually had a perception um, in my head before I went I was like shopping is so fun you get to try on so many things and you get to treat yourself with like new items new styles and then I went and I was like how have I just forgotten that I don't actually really like this <laughs> like it was really busy and like you're always the wrong temperature and the music they play is often quite like anxiety inducing mm. and I didn't see anything I liked and the queues are really long and I was just like, how have I managed to kid myself into thinking that this is something that I really enjoyed? But anyway, so that to the side, but I was obsessed with like the texture of the clothes. I just mm. went around like, just like stroking random things, probably like an absolute freak. But because that's what I've missed, because like so often you order something online and then it arrives and it's always scuba. Why is it always scuba? <laughs> I've never had that experience myself, but um, <laughs> sad to hear that you had a lot of scuba. Um, yeah, just on what you said about how you like got had the definition of shopping in your head, like shopping is so fun. It's an activity. It's just so funny because yeah. I feel like we've all started to do this. Like the pub is a place that I go with my friends and I have fun and I drink a pint. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I had a similar thing, not, not quite with the textures, but more with like... The, the opportunity to try random things on, I was like, oh my God, I have to try on something wacky. <laughs> so that like, <laughs> something I would never, you know, pick normally, which yeah. is kind of weird. Like I really didn't need to do that, but I did try on some really odd, like bodycon ribbed purple dress, which was not a great vibe, okay. but it was kind of cool to see it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't kind of put that on you if I was <laughs> choosing. Mm-hmm. I actually, I also had a jeans related revelation. Basically, because I could try stuff on, I've always just had this thing in my head where I just have just think that jeans don't fit me because I see them on other girls and I'm like, wow, their bums look so nice, so flattering, like whatever they wear that with, they look so good. And I've always just been like, wow, what a shame for me, RIP, never works. Mm -hmm. And I always thought it was because of the relative shape of my waist and my bum. But then it turns out I literally have just been getting the complete wrong size because I thought when you measure your waist that you, I didn't know you measure it at the narrowest point. Where have you been measuring <laughs> your hips? <laughs> yeah, I was basically measuring I... my hips because I'm an idiot and I never read the thing properly online. So then I've just been like wearing these like fuggly baggy waisted things the whole time. That so has been an absolute revelation. So were your jeans not always way too big at the waist? Yes, they've always been way too big at the waist, and I always belted them, like, really tightly. Oh. 
This makes a lot of sense because I remember you were saying you bought those Lucy and Yak jeans and I think you said the size and I was like, I'm sure that's a size too big at least. <laughs> but like, I didn't want to say because I was like, oh, you know, <laughs> you might well be that oh, size. Yes. But I was Thanks, like, babe. that is, <laughs> sounds like it was a bit too big. And this is why. <laughs> yeah, they literally were. <laughs> oh, well, I'm very happy for you. And yeah, I think that is something that you can only, um, you can only really do, like, no, by trying things on. You have to trial and error, yeah. guys, especially with clothes. Yeah. So I know that you have read a book recently that I'm really interested in reading, but mm-hmm. I want to hear your thoughts on it because I've heard quite a lot of stuff already and obviously I value your opinion more than uh-huh. any other. <laughs> so <laughs> so tell me about it. So it's funny that you say that because I feel like this book was really overhyped. Did you feel the same thing? I think I saw a lot on social media for some weird yeah, reason. Yeah, I know, it. on Instagram. Yeah, yeah. I think it's because I follow this one Instagram account called Ladies Lit Squad and they kept posting about this one book. So I think maybe they had like some kind of in with the author, but yeah. I felt that it was overhyped, but then actually looking back, it was just one Instagram account that kept posting it. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> irrelevant. Um, so the book is Expectation by Anna Hope. Um, so this came out in 2019 summer, I believe, and it follows three women called Hannah, Kate, and Lissa. And the the like tagline I found online is um, three college friends, which I hate because by the way they're like in England, so that sounds weird. But oh. uni friends, even though they're actually not even uni friends, so even more annoying. Anyway, three three friends <laughs> now in their thirties must come to terms with the gap between the lives they imagined for themselves and reality in the face of marriage, fertility struggles, and loss. Um, which is an okay. interesting, I think the idea of it definitely drew me in, like female friendship. And, and that was something that was also marketed. I think there's a quote on it um, that says like, if you wish that normal people had tackled female friendship, then this book is for you or something like that. Um, so that, that would just like draw, drew me in instantly. I was like, I want to read that this, you know. such clever marketing. Yeah. They know how to get you. <laughs> definitely. Um, but yeah, I would the thing I thought that was slightly missing from it given that tagline and the the title was the whole kind of idea of expectation I thought that um that that idea was kind of explored but there definitely wasn't that much like of a sense of what they wanted their life to be it was more just that they were kind of dissatisfied with life as it was um and that maybe the, the expectation was like felt in the absence of of having like a laid out expectation like none of the characters were like oh you know when I'm older I want to have a dog and a cat and live in Hampstead Heath Mm. like none of that happened but you just felt that where they were in their 30s there was something wrong with each of their lives in that kind of way Mm. I understand Um, yeah so yeah so I'll start with what it did well um and that was definitely I think articulating like the slightly more nuanced emotions and feelings like that you have within female friendships um which I I don't think is explored in that many novels to be honest like I can't think of a huge number um because often like like that tagline the other tagline the Sally Rooney one suggests like um what is it romance is kind of the the more more of the subject of the novel than the friendships but this is definitely Mm. friendship at the forefront I would say um so, for example, um, there's like a moment where Lissa, one of the friends, is kind of, she's, I think she's a bridesmaid or she's just attending her best friend Hannah's wedding. And she's like secretly wanting Nathan, who is um, Hannah's fiance, to find her more attractive. And she works, at, yeah, which is kind of crazy because she wears like a really um, bright dress and she like, 
she's really wanting him to think that she's yeah. outshining the bride. And then she suddenly sees her best friend at the wedding being the bride. And she like all of this kind of instantly leaves her like her brain and she's she's thinking like, oh my god, how could I have ever thought that? Like how could I have out ever thought that I would outshine her? Like she's so beautiful. I love her so much and all this stuff. Um mm. and I think that was really interesting, kind of like playing out the feelings of jealousy and also the like when you suddenly remember what somebody actually means to you when you've had yeah. like a bit of a, a when like when you're having a bit of an argy-bargy with someone in your head you know and yeah. then you suddenly realize like oh my god no this is my bestie what was I thinking yeah but also I to my mind that kind of feels like she was slipping into one stereotype of like the woman who outshines the bride do you know what I mean because it's the fear it's what anyone ever says to you if you're going to a wedding mm. like even if it's a joke they're like oh well don't outshine the bride it's like <laughs> okay like why would I go and do that why would I have that as a goal in my head but it also reminds me of that episode in Sex and the City where Charlotte does that. Do you remember? She turns yes. up to a wedding in a black dress. It's like really sexy. Mm-hmm. So clearly it's this kind of, it's a figure in our cultural consciousness is this woman who kind of turns up as this sultry, sexy figure and tries to like, I don't know if we want to take it really far, kind of blow up the institution of marriage with just mm. like her sex appeal. So to me, that feels like this character coming in like that. It's like she's got caught up in this stereotype and then her actually seeing the person who means so much to her shatters that completely. And she's sort of like, oh, what was I thinking? Why was I shoehorning myself into this role when actually my my reason for being here is my connection to this person and how much I like love and value her? So that's yeah. really interesting. I love that as just a vignette. Yeah, and that's a really good point because there's a massive kind of tension in it between the novel, between traditional values and like, um rebelling against the establishment and there's definitely there's kind of a conflict with the older generation so like Lissa's mum was obviously one of the like radical feminists I guess in the 70s or something um and so she's kind of like well what have you girls done with like all the stuff we Mm. fought for you for so yeah that is definitely a really good point and I think something that they all kind of struggle with they're like oh Mm. but you know I really want to settle down but should I not um so that's it was interesting to read as a 20 something girl mm. um yeah and there was another moment um I wanted to talk about which was like Kate one of the other three characters she goes into Hannah's drawers one day when they're all like having a drink on the balcony um she kind of sneaks up into her room and tries on her underwear which is what? okay it sounds literally <laughs> insane but it's another moment of um of comparison which is kind of why I think the novel should be called like comparison rather than expectation um mm. But she, because Hannah has like really nice um, silk, expensive underwear, and she says it's the kind that you could only wear if you've got like small boobs. And um, right. so you, you just get a sense, you never get a description of Hannah, but that she just has her, her shit together basically. Mm. And Kate compares her own like MS briefs in her drawer mm. at home that are all tangled up to Hannah's like perfectly laid out matching sets Marie Kondo um, yes and it, yeah they're just quite good examples of like tangible things that in the girls heads it, like it means a lot more that the underwear yeah. means that Hannah has her life together and Kate doesn't anyway those were the, the kind of bits that I liked about the novel um mm. but I would say that it was quite scary to read as a um, someone in their early 20s because um just it just felt that there was this kind of like um the, a deadline approaching for all of them that they had somehow in their head of like oh when I reach my mid-30s like something has to happen 
Um, yeah. And one of them has quite a lot of struggles with fertility and that, I mean, as a 20-year-old, you're like, I never want to get pregnant. And then suddenly mm. thinking, oh my gosh, there is kind of a deadline on that aspect of it um, was quite scary. Um, and I think the fact that they were all doing such different things with their lives, supposedly, they'd all chosen a different path, but none of them really seemed happy with that path, I found quite depressing. Yeah. Um, and I was kind of thinking, like, it would have been nice if one of them had at least felt more fulfilled in their career, um, mm. because I think that was something that was kind of missing from it. Um, yeah. And it, it did slightly remind me of, it was it's a completely random comparison, but this essay that I read by Catelyn Moran, the journalist, which was talking about how her daughter has anorexia and and she was saying how she thinks that a lot of women, young women have such bad mental health issues because we never see women um, in the media um, who are happy basically and having a good time. Yes. Um, and so I thought, yeah, that was, that was kind of, that resonated with me because I felt that in this book there was quite a lot of women suffering and like women going yeah. through bad times and and despite the fact that they chose the things that made them happy they were still not happy um so yeah that was kind of something that I found but I think that is a really good comparison because this is something I've been thinking about quite a lot um and I've actually spoken because through the kind of magazine work I was doing recently I got to interview quite a few female authors and like poets who I like liked and admired and thought their work was great and I think it is a theme like in each of those interviews I was thinking about it because one of them had, this is another major digression, but it is relevant to what you were saying. One of them had written a book um, that was basically a lot about kind of sexual trauma and mm. like rape. And it was a brilliant book. It was, um, it's called Vertigo and Ghost and the poet uh, Fiona Benson. And then I interviewed a different poet called Ella Frears, who's uh, closer to our age. She's kind of about 30, I think. Um, and it was also a lot about female desire and she had a lot about sex in there. Um, but it was a lot more light-hearted and sort of tongue-in-cheek and and also cheeky, actually, in fact. Um, and it just made me think, you do, to a certain extent, need both. Obviously, this is an extreme yeah. example. It's not what you were saying, because this is like more about sex versus sexual trauma. I think you do need both, because you need, you need art to reflect life to a certain extent. Like, mm -hmm. that's the cliche, and it is true. You need it to have a grain of truth so that it feels powerful and it feels relevant and people can you know, feel like their experiences are enhanced by seeing it in a different form or seeing it in words or on TV and stuff like that. But I agree with you. I think actually we're at a stage now where it's been so unbalanced for so long that we do need to redress it to a certain extent. I think we need to have positive expressions of female desire and female friendship and women you know having a nice time yeah and, just having fun yeah and yeah. just having fun because so much of history and this is the horrible bit is that it's true for so much of history mm. that hasn't been the case women have not had a fun time but that doesn't mean that going forward we shouldn't kind of almost manufacture that in certain environments so that we can reach for it because people do mirror the experiences that they see or read or yeah. kind of intake so I, do, I feel quite passionate about that now. To be no, honest. I'm really glad. Uh, no, that was a really good, really good point. And the whole like life imitates art thing is really, it's just, yeah, very interesting. Um, I think 
just yeah like you were saying we don't want to paint a you know a picture of something that's just completely inaccurate like people being like yeah it was great for women they were being burned at the stake for being a witch they were having a great time that would be ridiculous and there will be a lot of people who I think would read expectation and love it I think maybe if I was Mm. in my if I were in my 30s um I might have found it more yeah it just resonated more on a deeper level so, Shah, what have you been watching recently? Have you got anything to report back? I have. I've been in the front trenches of the romantic comedy genre, as Ooh. you know. This is a new series that's just been released on BBC iPlayer, um, created by Rose Matafeo, who's um, a comedian from New Zealand. It's called Starstruck. Mm. And first of all, fun fact, she used to go out with James Acaster, you know, the comedy guy, who's on loads of like panel shows and stuff. And there's a really small bit in the show where she references that, but I'll come on on to it. Um, So yeah, so the premise is basically halfway between a classic millennial coming of age show. Mm -hmm. You know, when we spoke about Awkwafina is Nora from Queens, it's that vibe of like not really having enough money and like trying to make it in the city and struggling to pay your rent and also just you know, bumbling around from one random event to another. Um, But the spicy element is that it's also a bit like Notting Hill because the premise is that she basically meets this guy on New Year's Eve in a club and has a nice hookup and just thinks, you know, it's it's a cute time. But then it turns out that he's a mega famous film star and she didn't realise. And then it's like a will they, won't they for the rest of the series. So... It's not groundbreaking, but I just felt like it hits all the right notes, which shouldn't be underestimated for a romantic comedy, considering how many of them don't manage to do that. Mm, (laughs) Um, So, you know, it's not corny, it's not cliched, it's not cringy. There's a real warmth to it and it's genuinely really funny. Partly, I think, because obviously Rose Matafeo is hilarious and she is great in it. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's also just that, like, intangible thing that's so hard to put your finger on but the the chemistry between her and Tom her romantic interest is really strong and that basically just carries the whole show you believe this slightly implausible situation just because when they're on screen together the tensions and misunderstandings seem so realistic um so I thought that was brilliant so it's a really easy watch and Jessie the character that Rose Matafeo plays She's really easygoing, really fun, very likable. Not one of these, quotes messy women characters that we've yeah. kind of come to see on screen. But she's not boring. Like, there's psychological depth to her. And even though she doesn't show her vulnerability all the time, it comes through in flashes that are, are more believable for it being hidden most of the time, if that makes sense, because that's more that's more realistic to how you get to know someone in real life. Like the pacing of the show is a few episodes in, you suddenly see that she's been harboring all this kind of self doubt Mm. and more um, like homesickness essentially for New Zealand that she hadn't really revealed before. Um, So that was really good. And the James Acaster thing is because there's a bit in it where she says that um, her character, Jessie, says, well, the reason I came to London in the first place was because of that guy. And then that didn't work out and blah, blah, blah. And ah! surely that's autobiographical. I really haven't seen very much of him. I've just heard, yeah. I've seen his face a lot. Like, I know exactly who you mean. He was on yeah. the Stand Up to Cancer Bake Off, I think. I keep seeing him yeah. in the adverts. And also, just as a side note, 
Rose Matafeo's hair is so nice. Yeah. I love her hair. It's so beautiful. So yeah, there's that as well to enjoy. <laughs> Welcome to From A-List to Gen Z. The segment where we talk in detail about the wild, wild world of celebrities. So, Jar, uh, I want to hear about some celebrity gossip this week. Can you provide that for me? Yes, I can always provide that for you. <laughs> it's actually some really kind of nice old-fashioned celebrity gossip. You know, we're going back to like paparazzi pictures and sleuth things, which obviously I don't endorse, but I do consume. <laughs> um, so basically, the internet has gone mad because Jennifer Lopez and Ben Affleck have been spotted together twice in the past twice. few weeks. Yeah, exactly. Um, so J-Lo was engaged to the former boss. Wait, I was about to say basketball. That's not the same as baseball, though, is it? All these American sports. I don't know. No, he wasn't a basketball player. He was a baseball player called uh, Alex Rodriguez, A-Rod, on Instagram. Mm. So I always think that he's called A-Rod. Um, anyway, yeah, so she was engaged to him, but they split in mid-April. They announced that they'd broken up. Right. Um, and basically, these paparazzi images surfaced of her spending time with Ben Affleck. Ooh which is interesting because they were one of the first celebrity power couples in the early noughties. So they were engaged in 2002 and split up in 2004, I think. So all of my social media has just been like flooded with these images of them like from 20 years ago oh, really? at all these events and walking down the street because it was the era of like, you know, Brad Pitt and Jennifer Aniston and mm. all of that kind of obsession. Um, and it's really funny, the timing of it, because do you remember last year when that picture of Brad Pitt and Jennifer Aniston at an awards ceremony came up? Oh, where yeah. he was like, re- kind of affectionately catching her by the wrist and everyone was like, oh my <gasps> God, are they getting back together? And it's interesting because I did feel, I did feel something about that. I felt quite excited about that, even though I know it didn't mean anything, like they're just on friendly terms and that's fine. But with with J-Lo and Ben Affleck, I think it's just too... It's a bit before our time. I don't really have, like, yes. an emotional reaction to it, which I'm kind of sad about. I completely agree. I didn't actually... I don't think I really knew they dated or at least connected it in my head. Um, yeah. So it was kind of news to me. Um, but they do look... Yeah. Like, the pics of them back in the day look adorable. And I yeah. did know that Jennifer Aniston and Brad Pitt dated, so I can get why people are hyped because I think I would have also been like oh about that but I yeah. kind of feel like less excited about that because you know Angelina Jolie is a person you know I don't want to be disrespectful to her and be like shipping oh. anyway weird yeah sorry no but that's also but that's because their narrative continued for far longer because of the Angelina Jolie thing yeah because there was this whole love triangle mm. I felt like that remained in like the media consciousness for a far longer time Whereas the Benefer situation kind of faded a bit quicker. But it's also really funny. There's a there's a hilarious addendum to this whole story. I can't believe I just said addendum (laughs) in reference to literally celebrity gossip. But there you go. Um, Which is that it's come at a similar time when this video um, came out. Which was, I think it was going around TikTok actually, because um, it was originally posted by Naveen Jay, who's an actor, comedian, and author. Um, and basically, she, Naveen Jay, matched with Ben Affleck on this celebrity dating app called Raya. 
Oh, I um, think I've seen this. Have you heard about this? Which yeah. is apparently like this elite thing that you can only go on if you're a celebrity. So she matched with Ben Affleck and was obviously like, this is fake. This definitely isn't Ben Affleck. So she unmatched with him. And then Ben Affleck sent her a video on Instagram and she posted the video. <gasps> and it's hilarious because it's such a dad vid. Like oh that's God. what I thought when I watched it because he's kind of got like salt and pepper beard and you know he looks he looks good but it's like the angle of it it's just like not the one. Oh no <laughs> anyway, oh. and in the video he just says Naveen why did you unmatch me it's me <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of, so clearly Ben Affleck I don't know it kind of sounds like he's on the prowl yes he's out there. he wants a woman yeah will it be J-Lo will it be J-Lo freaking question well, mark there yeah we'll keep you posted on that um Okay, what celebrity news has caught your attention, Connie? Uh, so this past couple of weeks, all I've been seeing everywhere are pictures of Billie Eilish's British Vogue cover. Yes. Have you seen this? And what did you think, Shah? Were you shocked or did you see this coming? Um, I did not see this coming. So basically, Billie Eilish, obviously like mega pop star, she's only 19 years old. Kind of depresses me, mind. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, also, Good for her, it's yeah. incredible, but also terrifying. Um, so, essentially, before this, she her look was quite gothy. She wore a lot of dark clothes. She had black hair with, like, a green streak in it. Um, and she never revealed any of her body in what she wore, which was actually a conscious decision. I remember reading interviews with her where she basically said she had chosen to do that, wear these baggy clothes big jackets and trousers so that no one could see her body and no mm. one could shame her for it which I I sort of admired at the time but also makes me so sad because it's it's a proactive reaction to the insane amount of attention that women's bodies get in yeah. the public eye and it made me think of all this free Britney stuff that's been happening recently with the documentary it's like we've come such a long way in celebrity culture that pop stars now know what it's like and have seen what it's like when a 17-year-old girl gets really famous, mm. i.e. it's Britney Spears being asked all those inappropriate questions by, like, middle-aged Gosh, male yeah. journalists. Um, and have had to react to it in this way that's like, okay, well, if that's how it's going to be, then I'm going to defend myself by just not showing any of my body. Like, that's going to be how to do it. So I thought beforehand, I was like, that's so sensible, great for her, but also why have we got to this stage where that's what you have to do? Like, why can't people just just not be disgusting? Like, yeah. that's all it takes. She's 17 years old. Um, so fast forward to this Vogue shoot. Um, it was completely her idea. So she's kind of got this new image for her album that's coming out soon. Um, and she's dyed her hair platinum blonde from being kind of dark and different neon colours. Um and in the shoot, she wears quite sort of conventionally sexy clothes. So she's in lingerie, she's in some suspenders and the kind of bustiers and in this quite pink um, pastel yeah. palette that's silky. quite feminine. Yeah, exactly. Silky, kind of satiny vibes. Um, and yeah, it's garnered a lot of attention because when she posted the Vogue cover on her Instagram, it hit a million likes in like under six minutes which Crazy. obviously broke a world record. Um, and I love the <laughs> I love the amount of effort she went to disguise the fact that she was doing this because apparently she wore a wig 
of her old hair yeah, over I her new that. hair. <laughs> she said she went on Amazon and got like a Billie Eilish Halloween yeah. costume <laughs> and wore a wig of her own hair. That is so funny, isn't it? Yeah, it's so funny. But also, just imagine being in a place where you can order it's just a disguise insanity. of yourself. That is just so... That is something out of like a weird film. Um, so anyway, yeah. And some of the quotes from the interview that accompanied it are really interesting because she talks about why she's made this decision to kind of, you know, show a bit more of her body. And it's kind of a, in a way, it's about her coming into her womanhood, I think. Because mm. her recent song is also about a real imbalance of power in a relationship and sort of it's yeah. rebuking men for taking advantage of underage girls, essentially. Um, so she said some stuff like, don't make me not a role model because you're turned on by me. Yeah, I thought that was a really good quote. Yeah, I thought that was a really good quote. And also just a general kind of um, statement of anger, really, which I appreciated. She said, suddenly you're a hypocrite if you want to show your skin and you're easy and you're a slut and you're a whore. If I am, then I'm proud. Me and all the girls are hoes and fuck it, you know? (laughs) Let's turn around and be empowered in in that. So I thought that was really nice. Um, And I just hope that she, I don't know, I feel quite maternal over her for some Mm, reason. True. I think, yeah, she's not... She's not even that much younger than us, though. But I think that's it, is that I can kind of... I'm still at an age where I can remember what it's like to be 17, to be 19, and the thought of having that many eyes on me at that age is just... Oh, bomb. Yeah, it was yeah, so bomb. scary. Um, um, yeah, I, I really like that she's kind of um, taking ownership of the kind of revealing um, clothing, because I know... I don't know if you saw, but she got patched, like, maybe six months ago in a vest I don't know if you saw that picture yeah. um, and it was like the first time that people had seen her figure basically because of all the huge oversized clothing that she usually wears and there were just some such mean comments about it and I remember the, the tweet yeah. that like went viral was someone saying she had like a middle-aged wine mom body oh my which is God. just ridiculous like firstly because just being so misogynistic suggesting that a middle-aged wine mom is like unattractive anyway and then comparing mm. some a super attractive 19 year old girl to that it's like Gross. yeah there are um, layers of issues there <laughs> so many um but yeah i like that she she kind of decided to show her own body a bit more on her own terms rather than just having yeah. some gross paparazzi person um you know leak pictures that she probably yeah. didn't want to be leaked um yeah exactly and that she had a whole aesthetic for it i think that's quite important with these kind of things yeah because in the interview she talks about her inspiration she talks about these kind of kind of glamorous pin-up images that she was thinking about um, and I think for someone like her, because as an artist, she takes herself very seriously, as she should, because she's completely revolutionised, like, pop and the sound of popular music. Um, so I just quite liked that there was this sort of artistic element to it for her, that she was that she was putting yeah. that creativity into the process, and it wasn't just about... Um, yeah, just her yeah. body, basically. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. just about her body, it was also about these mm-hmm. are the kind of things I'm trying to evoke. Have you got any podcasts that you've been listening to recently? Yes, I have. I've been on that podcast grind. Um, I've still been enjoying um, Sentimental in the City, which I talked about last time. Same. Um, but I listened to a new uh, ser- a new episode of a series that I haven't listened to before this week, um, which is the Saturn Returns with Kagi podcast. So you might have heard of Kagi. Do you remember the name by any chance? I don't really follow the Made oh, in Chelsea crowd. So okay. I'm afraid, yeah. <laughs> but you do know she she's a um, 
Kagi Dunlop of Made in Chelsea fame. So she now mm. has a podcast. I think actually it's this week that Made in Chelsea turns ten years old. So that gives you Whoa. quite yeah, quite a good indication of kind of where she now is. So she was one I think she was one of the original cast members, I'm not actually sure Interesting. about that. Um Yeah, so. that's the classic trajectory of that's what you'd expect. She'd be in the podcast hype now. Ten yeah. years on. Yeah. Ten years on. She's yeah. moved on. Um so yeah, this is this episode is series three and episode five. And it's called Independence, Perfectionism and Letting Go with Naomi Smart. So that's the guest that Kagi has on this week. Um, and the podcast also has like a little, I don't know, descriptive line. And that is um, a podcast to bring clarity during transitional times where there can be confusion and doubt. Um, mm. So it's actually quite an interesting premise for a podcast. Um, it's not just a interview, like chat with your guest. Um, it's particularly centred around the horoscopic astrological phenomenon of Saturn returning so have okay. you heard about this Jar? do you know what a Saturn no. return is no, no please tell me um so the, a Saturn return is basically where Saturn returns to the same point that it was at at the person's birth so this okay. happens in everybody's life in their kind of horoscope chart um and it usually it, I think it's different for everyone so you can like look yours up and calculate it fun fact um, I'm definitely going to do uh, that now yeah. <laughs> and yeah. for everyone I know obviously yeah that's kind of cool because you can see like when it's supposed to happen for your mates and yeah. be like oh in uh, June 2026 <laughs> you're going to be mental um yeah so basically it happens to everyone I think it's around 27 to 29 but then it okay. aged 27 29 and then it lasts for like two or three years sometimes oh. depending on the person I think sometimes it can be much shorter um and basically it's supposed to be, your Saturn return is supposed to be a particularly difficult or turbulent time and like a world-shaking point in your life. Mm. Um, I have a quote which is from an article in The Cut which says, Saturn returns feel particularly demanding because of the nature of Saturn itself. It's the planet of structure and duty, of limits and morality. Even in normal times, its energy can feel rigorous and exacting. It isn't malicious or bad, but it isn't always easily born either. Mm. Um, interesting so it's kind of like you know you see the mercury in retrograde happening yeah. a lot I think Saturn is just like a lot of a more intense planet in inverted commas I know that sounds ridiculous to any horoscope <laughs> non-believers you're gonna be like what are you talking about um, but yeah so it only happens this is the first time it will happen in your life mm -hmm. uh, when you become like 27 29 so I think that's why it's supposed to be like a and will it happen thing. again it does happen again when you're, I, I guess, a, a, a similar amount of time later. So actually my mum's okay. one is coming up in, in like two years. We looked it up. So oh. it happens when you're in your 50s again at some point. And then I think in theory again, it can happen again when you're in your like 80s. Okay. So it's not your only one if anybody um, is worried about that. <laughs> or if you're like, for example, your parents or just anyone over the age in, in their 30s, you can like look up when their Saturn return was and try and figure out if it was actually like a, an important yeah. time in their life or not. Retrospectively um, interesting. Okay. Yeah. yeah, so this episode of the podcast is unique actually um, because Naomi and Kagi first recorded it in the summer of 2020 and then basically they, they halted the uploading of it because Naomi and her fiancé split up just, I think, the week after they recorded it. Oh, my so, God. So on the podcast, Kagi's being like, oh, yeah, like, you're Saturn return, blah, blah, blah. And Naomi's like, yeah, it hasn't happened yet. Yeah. Um, it's supposed to happen really soon in, like, a month or something. And basically, her Saturn return happens 
and her and her fiance split up. Oh my god, that is actually really scary. It's quite scary. Um, yes, and so they the podcast is um, it's in two parts, and they re-recorded the episode after the breakup, and so. The first half of it, you hear her before the breakup, and then they cut, and they talk about it after, which is really interesting. So I was like really intrigued when I saw it um, advertised on Instagram. I was like, I want to listen to that. Um, so yeah, the things I found interesting were so Ni- for anyone who doesn't know, Naomi Smart is just um, she's an influencer. Just an influencer sounds really mean. Sorry, I take that back. Um, but just in case anyone was like, is she the famous person that I don't know? No, she's an influencer. <laughs> I think she has like more than a million Instagram followers. So she's wow. pretty, very successful. Um, so she weirdly, if you know, I don't think you're into YouTube, but anyone who is listening who was into YouTube back in the day, she used to date this guy called Marcus Butler. He was quite famous on YouTube because he's friends with like Zoella and all of her oh, okay. YouTube mm. mates. But Naomi broke up with him a long time ago. Um, mm-hmm. So she got quite a lot of like fame and stuff from that. Anyway, she's now still an influencer. And she's very, very beautiful, very into fitness and like veganism. And she has a skincare line and all this kind of stuff. Mm. So um, wellness, exactly. That ambiguous umbrella. Yeah. Mm, she's very kind of goop vibes. <laughs> yeah. You, yeah. Um, so the things I found interesting were her talking about perfectionism and pressure and kind of societal expectations especially to do with age so kind of similar to what I was talking about with expectations to be honest mm. um and I kind of in a way didn't find it surprising um because looking at her Instagram and kind of the person she seems it you like you definitely you know you, you get the impression she is somewhat of a perfectionist like the pictures right. that she posts you know there's not a hair out of place she's always like doing an amazing yoga pose and eating a beautiful salad and that kind of stuff like it's not it's not one of those influencers who who kind of post their like roles and it's like I'm a real person she's not really that kind I mean she she is she seems like a lovely person she's not kind of fake and all that Mm. but it's it's definitely an edited reality that you see Mm. um so I also thought it was kind of interesting that I've seen two other influencers who were in their late 20s go through a similar kind of breakup. So okay. they were both kind of blindsided. She and this other one particularly were kind of blindsided by their fiancé um, who suddenly basically left them with little warning. But they both they both felt that they'd, they'd not seen it coming at all. But as soon as it happened, looking back, they were like, I there were so many signs that I just completely ignored. Mm. Um And I thought that was kind of an interesting um, idea because she definitely, they both, both her and Kagi talked about shoehorning. So they basically Mm. mentioned that, that because of the kind of pressure to settle down and have a family, both from society and also from like the whole fertility thing, um, you often feel in your late twenties, like just tempted to kind of shoehorn and like grab like a going out business sale you're like oh my god I need to settle down or even if it's just somebody that you're with and you're like oh you know they're a great guy but maybe yeah it's the time isn't it it's the time when people expect it to happen absolutely yeah so whereas you know maybe now you'd be like oh he's nice but you know I'm not gonna marry him Mm. if you met the same person and then you're 27 you might be like oh you know this is it it's perfect it was it was you know meant to be like we're perfect for each other um yeah so she definitely kind of bowed to the pressure to fit into that mold so I thought that was really interesting this this is interesting because my my main point of reference for this is actually so my brother is 31 now Mm. um and he I remember him saying like might have been a year ago like a couple of years ago 
and he said that he'd noticed that the like energy on dates had kind of changed it mm. shifts in your late 20s um and he is coming from this from a position of like you know he's got a girlfriend now like he wants to settle down and have kids and stuff so he's kind of on the same page but he was saying it's much like there is this sort of like shadow hanging over every romantic relationship you have mm. when you get to a certain stage that's kind of like could I have kids with this person yes. <laughs> like, it's no longer like oh you can go for a drink and like have a nice time but they like might have some political views that you don't really agree with but they're fun so it doesn't matter like it's not that anymore it's like no messing around no it's no messing around yeah exactly it's like cutting to the quick so I think that's so true so I did I did wonder after listening it is Saturn return a real thing basically that was my <laughs> question because the way Kagi was talking about it she was so in her head she basically said when Naomi was talking the first time she was really certain that something was going to happen she was like in some way your Saturn you will feel your Saturn return in inverted commas like and she was saying because Naomi was basically implying she'd had quite a turbulent early 20s so right she didn't think that something big was going to happen because she was like I am settled now like this is my man yeah we know where our kids are going to school like this is it you know um, okay which that's is a bit weird but okay <laughs> I mean she didn't actually say that so maybe I've made that up sorry Naomi's <laughs> smart <laughs> um but she just she was very much she yeah. felt that um so, so Kagi was kind of like, oh, you know, it might not be, um, you know, an earth-shattering breakup. It might well be just that, um, I don't know, it's just like examples of things that it could be like, oh, you, you know, you decide to change your career a bit or you just go back to your roots. It could be kind of anything. And, you know, it's, that's the woolly, lovely nature of astrology. Yeah. Um, but then it was an earth-shattering breakup. the big thing happened. So. Yeah it kind of definitely seemed to sort of consolidate Kagi's own view that like Saturn return is a big thing and it happens to everybody. Um, But I definitely just just did think like, is it not just a massive coincidence that the Saturn return happens in those years where you suddenly start thinking like, okay, you know, I'm not 21 anymore. Do I want to be dating around for the rest of my life? Maybe I would like to settle down, maybe like to have a child. Is that not just a massive coincidence? Yeah. I I mean, I think... I would lean towards, I think you could remove the whole Saturn element out from this. Because mm. when you read the tagline for the podcast, it's a podcast to bring clarity during transitional times where there can be confusion and doubt. Yes. I was like, okay, fair. But then, you know, if if the Saturn spin is what she's going for, that's fair enough. But I think you're absolutely right. I think it's a stage of life that, yeah. that anyone would think, you know, big decisions are being made. Also, though... I would argue, who doesn't have a turbulent early 20s? Yeah. Can we just, just, is there anyone who has had, like, a steady reason? You know, you, those degrees, you can have, like, an yeah. overall happy time and a content time and, you know, moving in the right direction and feeling like you're kind of in the right place. But I would not describe anyone's early 20s as... Plain sailing, yeah. Yeah, it's plain sailing. It's just, I, just I don't think, think it happened. She was kind of saying, like, she'd had this big breakup with this other YouTube guy. I, I don't mm. know how old she was, but maybe, like, 22. So I think she was thinking, like, oh, I've, you know, I've done the horrible breakup. Yeah. And oh. now I've found my prince. But unfortunately, that was not the case. She basically now said that she's completely taken the pressure off herself. Um, mm. She's just like, you know, what if it happens, it happens. And I, I think that is a much more sensible... I, like it's just the only way you can think to be honest because if yeah. you are trying to shoehorn the wrong person into the life that you think that everybody wants you to have you're just not some way in some shape or form it's all going to come crashing down yeah. I think yeah um, 
unfortunately, like obviously everybody wishes that they could guarantee the the marriage and the kids and the happy life. But I just don't, you, you seem to not be able to. And people are so unreliable that you can't be like, oh, this man is, you, like, do you know what I mean? You can't. I know, yeah. Just pick a man and be like, it's going to work with this man. Like, I always, yeah, it always makes me think of, there's a really famous Nora Ephron quote um, where she says, always marry a man that you wouldn't mind being divorced from <laughs> that's which good. is obviously which is a really good quote thing is you never know you just yeah. you can't because what you're saying about people being unreliable yeah you just have to take your best bet <laughs> i think that's really sensible this is why i know this is a topic for another time and we said we were going to talk about it once but this is why prenups could be a good thing oh yeah we'll have to discuss another time um, but yeah, because... yeah, watch out for the mini sewed on prenups. The final thing I have to say about this that yes, is please. so tenuously related is that um, just because you've said the thing about shoehorning your ideal, I broke my shoehorn the other day. <gasps> so, what is the significance of that? I'm kind Am of... I breaking the mold? <laughs> I'm actually Maybe. gasping at the fact you own a shoehorn. <laughs> are you joking? Shoehorns no. are such a good implement. They're, they're up there with like bicycles i've never seen one I no don't, I thought don't you ever like get the it 1800s kind Mate, of thing. when you're putting your shoes on don't you ever like squish your fingers and you're like ow yeah yeah so get a shoehorn and <laughs> oh that will, and it improves your day so much because also because i wear so many rings it's like extra oh, painful yeah, because it's like kind of chafes a bit but now it wasn't a problem but okay. then i literally shattered it that's so, so sad. Okay, I'm off make to add that what you will. two shoehorns to my Amazon basket. <laughs> Please do. Now it's time for Nice Nuggets of News, a segment where we discuss uplifting news stories that might have passed you by. So, Jar, have you got any nice nugs for me this week? Yes, I've got two, actually. The first is that residents on an estate in East London woke up to find a herd of deer grazing outside their homes a month ago. This was in mid-April. So apparently they'd come from Dagnam Park, um, which is in East London, and they must have come across this like busy A road to get to this estate (gasps) in Harrod Hill. Yeah, it's absolutely insane. and apparently they've been breeding there for hundreds of years. So it's kind of their home pasture. And it's just there's some very sweet pictures of them with like massive antlers. They look like very majestic and nice. And one resident said that it was a real community event because obviously everyone came out of their Cute. houses and flats to like take pictures of them and look at them and stuff. So he said that he met more of his neighbours in that single morning than he had in five years of living there. Whoa, oh, that, that is, is London that. living, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, <laughs> I know. And it is insane how long you can live next to someone and just if your schedules don't align, you just never see them. Yeah, and if you don't make that effort or if they don't really want that effort to be made, then it's so easy to just act like they're not even there yeah exactly or you can just get some deers on the scene and then you'll meet everyone it's yeah. like a street party if you want to bring the yeah. community together just get a bunch yeah. of deer <laughs> <laughs> um the second one is a poll which to be fair only asked two thousand people so it's a very small sample size right. but it's still very sweet um it suggests that seven in ten people in the united states have become more aware of other people's needs after living through the pandemic and Mm. have made kind of kinder lifestyle choices. So the thing that really struck me from this survey was that 87% of them donated a portion of their um, pay to charity 
even though um, three in five experience financial difficulties. That's very interesting. That's Isn't it? Yeah, how nice, I guess. Yeah. Do you think that it's just because really nice. of hearing about like people suffering made it seem more real? I think so, but I think it's also... I have been asking people recently, like, what do you think you've learned through the pandemic? And I think... Very deep. I think it has... It's a, it's a, just a leveller, isn't it? Because everyone's had a similar experience in the... Obviously, there's been huge differences in, like, how big your house is mm-hmm. and if you're near a good space and if your income's been affected and stuff. But on a mass scale, everyone's sort of traumatised on some level. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense to me that people are... I think it's nice that the reaction to that is kindness as opposed to like self-preservation in a way. Yeah, that is really nice. So, Ja, there is something new on BBC One on Sunday nights that's replacing Line of Duty in our hearts. (laughs) Um, And it's a period drama. Could it be any more you? (laughs) No. Or indeed you, to be fair. <laughs> Can it be any more us? So what did you think of the first episode of The Pursuit yeah, of Love? So, yeah, so this is The Pursuit of Love, um, which, as you say, is on that coveted Sunday night slot, which we are apparently glued to. Where else would we be at 9pm on a Sunday night? Um, so it's based on the novel, also called The Pursuit of Love, by Nancy Mitford. And just a short bit of background about the history of it, because... So Nancy Mitford was one of the Mitford sisters um, and they are basically part of this really eccentric aristocratic English family um, who are around in the early 20th century. And a lot of that book, a lot of the novel of The Pursuit of Love is biographical about that upbringing and Mm -hmm. the just crazy things that happened Um, because the family grew up in their kind of ancestral house in Northumberland um, and they're really kind of characteristically english set of activities so they're just like hunting and riding horses and having afternoon tea all the time um and basically there were six sisters i think there was a brother as well um but the sisters are are best known because they just had really interesting and eventful lives Mm -hmm. and also went in completely different directions so one of them married a duke another one became a fascist and actually married Oswald Mosey, mm-hmm. who's the um, leader of the British fascists, fascists, can't even say it, in um, the 1930s. One of them became a communist and ran away to the Spanish Civil War. So complete opposite, yeah, exactly, opposite end of the political spectrum. Um, and then another one of them became like best friends with Adolf Hitler. So it's just like so crazy. Um, I think there's a really famous quote Ben McIntyre in the Times <laughs> described the family as Diana the fascist, Jessica the communist, Unity the Hitler lover, Nancy the novelist, Deborah the duchess, and Pamela the unobtrusive poultry connoisseur. Oh. Because the last one is just like, she just likes farming and has a quiet time in the country. She sounds really um, cute. We I know, exactly. Pamela. Pam. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I've actually, I don't know why I'm such like a Mitford obsessive. I'm not really, but I've read The Pursuit of Love and I've also read Ons and Rebels, which is the memoir by Jessica Mitford, who's the quotes communist one. Um, and they're both really entertaining. So this TV show is based on The Pursuit of Love, mm-hmm. which is in turn a fictionalized account of their lives. Um, so the TV show is based around the Radlett family. Um, and basically the kind of, part of familiars of the family who's you know as you can imagine English gentleman like roaring and really posh 
um he essentially doesn't believe that girls should have a proper education and the main issue he has with this is apparently that when girls go to school they play hockey and their thighs get as thick as gateposts which i did feel personally attacked by i was just gonna say as a hockey player yourself how did you feel about that as a woman who has a been to school (laughs) and b played hockey and c is quite proud of her sturdy thighs. I did feel attacked by that. Abs- yeah, but that is, I mean, gross. Gross at... <laughs> gross at speak. But this is the thing, like, this is kind of the theme of the whole show, is that it's always on this quite fine line between funny and quite uncomfortable. Mm, okay. Uncomfortable maybe isn't the right word, but I'll come on to it more. Um, But the first episode follows... Um, Linda, who's the second eldest daughter in this like huge family. And she's basically obsessed with love and sex and the idea of romance. So she feels really trapped in their home, which is fair enough, because even though it's massive, they basically can't do anything and aren't Mm. getting any intellectual stimulation. Um, And she wants to run away and have a good time and basically have life experiences that she can't have at home in this quite like repressed environment. and she's played by Lily James. She's incredibly emotional and dramatic, cries all the time. I think she tries to jump out the window at least once in a kind of dramatic fit. Mm, um, <laughs> but she's also really charming and kind of naive in an attractive way, I guess, to some men. Um, but then there's also her counterpart is Fanny, which will never not be funny, mm, I hate true. to say. Mm. um so fanny is their cousin the radlet's cousin who is uh, also linda's age and she is essentially the opposite of linda so she's really educated and sensible um she's very quiet and a much better judge of character she doesn't get swept up in all these emotions and um, her ideas of what people will be as opposed to like what they're actually doing um and it's nice because their friendship is the center of the first episode. So obviously you love that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Female friendship. Although there's this quite weird undercurrent, which I, I didn't really like it because I felt it was unnecessary where, because they're meant to be so like repressed and Linda in particular is meant to be obsessed with sex, but like isn't having any sex and doesn't really know much about it. Yeah. Um. Well, no, she does. She doesn't know about it, but it's more that she doesn't have access to it in the way that she wants. Of course. Um, so there are all these scenes where, because they're and they're cousins, but there are all these scenes where they just like sort of like have like pretend to have sex, like they're mucking around and they like jokingly like with each other, and then like, yeah, like they they're sleeping in the same bed and their faces are like really close in a way that would be fine if you were like kids, but they're like seventeen right. and quite grown up and worldly, and it's just a bit like. I think you'll understand it when you see it. It's, yeah, a bit too much. Yeah, it's like, and it was definitely deliberate on the point of the show to to make that explicit. But I was just a bit like, I kind of see what you're doing. You're trying to show that they're so repressed and have yeah. all these like energies that they don't really know where to filter out into. But I just felt that was a bit like, come on. I guys. think writers sometimes just don't get female friendship, do they? They're like, yeah, they're so close. They just kiss all the time. Yeah, no, literally, <laughs> Not really, that. actually. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So I was just a bit like, okay, like see what you're doing, but not a fan. Um, and yeah, so it's basically Linda having her first experience of being swept up in romance and the world mm-hmm. and then engineering her escape. Um, and I thought what it did really well is show 
two sides of what eccentricity can be like because I think we're quite used to think especially the English kind of country aristocratic gentleman we're used to thinking of that in a very um like entertaining light-hearted way that we just think it's kind of funny mm-hmm. but a good example is that so their dad is um like really unusual and he gets up like at the crack of dawn every morning and goes outside on their massive lawn and like cracks these two whips in Ooh. time to a like in time to a record player it's like oh. really weird and visually that's a great scene because you just think wow like what's going on here so there's that side, and it, it's obviously like got this kind of undertone of violence but it isn't explicit right but then there's this other scene where linda kind of misbehaves in a way that their father thinks is unacceptable Uh-oh. and he like turns over the table in a re- in basically in a rage and almost hits her um Uh-oh. and i mean this was the 1920s so you know this was a time when it was quote normal to give kids beatings and stuff but she's 17 and he like basically nearly clobbers her and it's a bit like ooh, okay um so i thought they did that well because it was like they managed to make the funny bits funny and the slightly uncomfortable bits genuinely did feel uncomfortable um so that was a good way of getting that balance um also unusually for a period drama the clothes were really ugly interesting yeah because I know the 1920s style dresses are quite a tricky shape to the fit most. Style, yeah, the yeah. flappers. I mean, if you've got any yes, body, uh, basically, <laughs> if you're not just a stick, then it doesn't look great. But like the textures and stuff, I just thought they made them seem very kind of starchy and ill-fitting. Um, um, and kind of I think partly they were old-fashioned even for the 1920s but I was okay. quite surprised by that to see a costume drama that wasn't really leaning into the the costume yeah. element they need to take um, their leaf out of the Bridgerton book yeah exactly it was yeah exactly it wasn't going for fantasy at all I think it was going for like realistic right. okay. um which I appreciate in many ways but also in terms of eye candy it's kind of low on the mm. on the register um and finally Lily James I mean her character of Linda is fundamentally quite annoying right and she isn't she's an unwatchable like she is watchable as an annoying character but she is annoying (laughs) yeah what do you think about that casting I was gonna ask I think it is I think it is well cast because she carries off this this impression of a really flighty passionate naive girl completely convincingly yeah um and she does well in not making it like toe curlingly irritating to watch. But at the same time, I was a bit like, oh God. <laughs> yeah, she is, I mean, she's she would be perfect for that kind of role, wouldn't she? That is who mm. she always plays. At the same time that this episode came out, my social media feeds were like overtaken by images of her as um, Pamela Anderson in oh, yes. like a new show with about her and Tommy Lee's relationship. So Very that was different. mad because she was like peroxide blonde in like this like slashed kind of top mm. and like biting his nipple in the press shop. And I was <gasps> so shook because I, I was like, that. really? Oh, no. I'll, I'll send it to you. But <laughs> it was so wild because I was like, what? Where's Linda? Who's this chick? <laughs> so but obviously funny. that's just what actors do. Yeah. They transform themselves. So I don't know why I was so surprised. But I think it's fair enough. It's because she does always play those characters, isn't it? Yeah. She plays the English Rose 
type. Yes, and she does play, like in, in War and Peace, she plays a very similar, naive, yeah. kind of flighty, um, romanticising everything kind of person. So yeah, she seemed like the obvious choice, um, but perhaps that's a good thing, and she's doing it, you know, very well. Yeah, and, and also now that she's going to be Pamela Anderson, at least she's moving on to very different roles so I'd be excited to see that as well this is ask gen z we're here for all your troubles and dilemmas bringing our combined 46 years of experience on this earth to give you the best advice we can So what is the dilemma that we're tackling this week, Connie? So, Jard, today we have a dilemma from Jennifer. This is her her anonymous name. Thank you, Jennifer, Mm. for submitting. And her dilemma is, my partner bought me a pet mouse for my birthday, which is a sweet gesture, but I'm actually terrified of mice. I don't want to hurt his feelings, but feel he should really have remembered that mice scare me after being together for a year. What do I do and how can I get rid of the mouse? So... Firstly, this just reminds me that I remember last week I saw a mouse and I literally did the hysterical woman thing of jumping on a chair and it really humiliated me. And I was like, why have I just done that? Like, grow up. So I'm not saying that to Jennifer because I completely understand having a fear of rodents is actually quite rational because lest we forget, they carried the plague. So, you know. Um, What are your feelings on this? Because I have quite strong opinions on this whole situation. Um, I would like to know about Jennifer's fear of mice and how serious it is. Because I think if it's just like, oh, once, you know, when you were with your boyfriend, you said, eh, not really a fan of mice. Or, but if it's, if it's, you know, the opposite and she's, she has a proper phobia of mice, then I'm like, what the fuck? Why would you buy someone a mouse? You know? Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's a very balanced and reasonable position to take. Mm. Personally... I just think it's really weird to buy someone a mouse unless they've really expressed an interest in mice. Mm. I think that's a weird present to get unless someone has actively been saying for like three months, (laughs) dropping these mega hints like, oh, I love mice so much. I was obsessed with Angelina Ballerina. Oh, should we watch Mickey Mouse tonight? You know, like unless it's that intense, don't buy someone a mouse. It's not a conventional gift. It's not even a conventional gift to buy someone as a pet. Like if you're getting a pet, Get a hamster. A hamster's more normal than a mouse. I just think it's really weird. And that added to the fact that she says that she's scared of mice. Mm. Like, why has he done this? I think it's a really odd situation. And now she's stuck with this mouse. What the hell is she going to do? Yeah, I do. I think it's it's odd to get someone a pet, like you said, without any preparation. Because, I mean, I'm assuming the mouse needs, like, a cage. You know, yeah. she'll need to clean out the cage. She'll need food, water for the mouse. Like, it's you know, it's a responsibility having a pet. So to spring it on someone isn't really fair. Yeah. Um, to, in terms of, I think she should just say to the boyfriend, why did you get me the mouse? I mean, that would be my reaction. If someone bought me a mouse, I'd obviously be like, oh my God, wow, a mouse. And I wouldn't be like vomiting or whatever because I don't hate mice, but I would say, why did you buy me this mice? mouse even? Yeah. And I would like to hear his explanation in this scenario. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. I can completely understand, though, when she's first... I, I, don't, I assume it wouldn't be unwrapped, but when the, the mice <laughs> were first revealed... Or is it just one mouse? Okay, when the mouse one. was just first revealed. You know, when someone buys you a present, I find the whole exchange very, you know, stressful, yeah. to be honest, because you'd have to... And especially if it's your boyfriend, like, they've put a lot of thought into it. They, I mean, maybe he hasn't mm. in this scenario, but they've tried. And sometimes it's very difficult to buy presents for people. So you want to, you know, 
be thankful and grateful for what they've done. So I can understand that she didn't immediately react in the way that was actually true to her emotions. However, I think it's perfectly valid to ask what, why have you done this? And also, in terms of how could she get rid of the mouse, because that's her actual question, mm. I think surely she can cast around and there'll be someone in her acquaintances or acquaintances of acquaintances who would be happy to take it on. Because yeah. most of people think they're really cute, but in this scenario, it just isn't going to work. Yeah, I think, Jennifer, you should get yourself on petsforhomes.com. I think that's what it's called, where you can put oh, like, the name of, of, not the name, put a picture of your pet, say what it is, and then someone will be, it's like Gumtree for pets, essentially. Or yeah, other, other than that, she could go to the countryside and just like put it in a field. That's true. Yeah, I don't know much about the the difference between domesticated mice and. Yeah, but I mean, we've all read the town mouse versus the country mouse, so mm-hmm. maybe they have very different lifestyles, and we should be wary about releasing them into an unfamiliar environment. <laughs> Sounds like there's a conflict there, Jennifer. Look <laughs> into it. Um, yeah, I think those would be my main advices. Anything else, Charles? No, I would just say if you're angry about this, I would think that was valid. Mm. So you have my support if you're pissed off about this mouse, Jennifer. I feel you. Sending you love and support. Welcome to this or that. Where we pit two popular items against each other and see which one comes out on top. Okay, so this week on This or That, we asked our Instagram followers on our poll whether they preferred uh, TikTok or Instagram, one of the two social media apps. Um, The results are in, and I'm kind of surprised, but in a way, not. So I'm interested to see what you think, Jar. So it was 82% voted in favour of Instagram being their favourite, and 18% voted in favour of TikTok. Yeah, I would expect it to be more TikTok, to be honest. If we had asked people from, like, the age of 15 up, I think Mm. it would have been far more balanced. Because I still think it's so generational. Like, I think people in school now basically only use TikTok. Yeah. And then people our age use maybe both. But older, only Instagram. Yes. But you have both. So what's your preference? Yes, I recently got TikTok. I can't remember exactly when. Maybe it was, like... March this year um I really like TikTok at the moment um I think it's just because in terms of content there is so much content on TikTok and some of it is like really quite entertaining and the format that it gives it to you is like um it's hard to describe but if you've been on reels on Instagram it's the exact same thing where just like the video plays and if you don't like it you swipe to the next one yeah so it feels like just in a way more immersive because Instagram is so like you you'll click on things on your explore page yeah. but other than that it's only things that you follow whereas TikTok is like constantly generating stuff to give to you that mm. it thinks you'll like so it's more like of a user experience I would say rather than Instagram yeah. is like you know maybe more customizable I mean TikTok to a certain extent is but it's sort of with its kind of clever algorithm I think it's based on like how long you spend interacting with the video and yeah. stuff like that um, no, that makes sense. And also, from what I've heard, it feels like it is just far more entertaining mm. because it's because it's moving images, because it's video. And also because there's such a broad range of stuff you see. Like, some of it's funny stuff, some of it's kind of adverts, some of it's people just, like, sharing their thoughts. Whereas Instagram now has reached such a ridiculous level of curation and perfection, and it's so polished that 
I mean, I know you can follow meme accounts and stuff, but because you've already, your feed is so based on people you follow, mm-hmm. there's you're never going to get like a flash of novelty or something really unexpected on Instagram. Whereas on TikTok, you're probably going to get that all the time and stuff you've never thought about and like jokes that are completely unfamiliar to you. And I think especially now, I know we're coming out of lockdown gradually, but I've just felt like there's no novelty ever. Yeah. So the the idea of getting that through an app is actually really appealing. Mm-hmm. No, I completely agree. I think that novelty thing is basically why I've enjoyed it. It's like, I'm bored of Instagram, essentially. I've been on Instagram for years. Um, and I also quite like that you don't really have to have a TikTok profile to enjoy it and to go on it. Like, mm-hmm. you don't have to sign in at all, actually. Um, so that's quite good because it means... There's no kind of like, oh, how do I fit into this? And am I, you know, yeah. how do I look to people who find me on Instagram um, mm. with TikTok? Yeah, and, and like, just to pick up when you mentioned adverts, I don't think I've, I, I'm off the top of my head, I can't remember many adverts at all that I've seen on TikTok. Um, really? I, I think maybe I've had one, but and I'm maybe like a few videos where something will be like ad gift sponsored or whatever. But Instagram is starting to feel a bit like they're always trying to flog something to you um and obviously now that influencers have become such a big thing and such a big marketing tool I do feel like some of the people that you watched or you you um followed because you liked them you're now actually kind of just trying to use you to um sell you things which is a bit annoying yeah it's tipped over into the commercial so much I also feel like the algorithm thing is interesting I don't know if you feel this but quite often maybe not on Instagram, but I could see this happening in the next few months or years. Because you set it up at a certain point in your life, and that's when you follow most of the accounts Mm. and choose what kind of experience you're going to have through it. Sometimes I feel like these apps and social media platforms, there's like a lag, and it's catering to the person that you were. Yeah, And doesn't kind of update to to the person you are now and like your concerns in the present. Whereas I feel like TikTok, because everything's so immediate and it's constantly adapting there's less of that feeling that it's catering to the person you were at like university when you had, when you made it, when you made the account and it's more, you know, it's interested in what you think now and how you react to things now. So yeah. that's an element as well. And it is so like, it's very, it does change very quickly. So when I, when you first go on TikTok, the stuff you, you see is obviously very random because it's just throwing anything at you. Um, mm. And I remember like starting to get a few weird things and just being like, eh, not so into this but then you suddenly interact with one and you start getting loads and loads of videos which is kind of it's very cool but it's also weird because sometimes you go through a mood like oh I'm really you know I really want to get my life together today and then all of a sudden you start seeing all these like motivational TikToks and if you interact (laughs) with one you just start getting loads more where they're like yeah lift yourself up like vanquish the enemy and stuff it's like what (laughs) and sometimes you feel like it knows your mood before you even do which is a bit scary um not necessarily my mood but like sometimes it will throw up something about like um family trauma or something and you're like why am I seeing this like am I seeing this because it knows like something about me um it must not be it must just be because other people who like the things that I like have liked that you know what I mean yeah but yeah algorithms are a bit scary aren't they yeah, I think that is, that's a fair assessment of algorithms. <laughs> algorithms are a bit scary. Yeah, that is interesting though. I never feel like Instagram is anticipating my mood at all. Mm, so that's interesting yeah. that you feel that with TikTok. Yeah. Um, I would obviously vote for Instagram because I don't have TikTok. But to be honest, I think everyone is falling out of love with it to a certain extent, aren't they? Yeah. It's not really, 
it's not really catering to the needs at the moment. That's it for this week. Thank you to all our listeners and social media followers. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And remember to follow us on social media at From A to Gen Z on Instagram, From A to Gen Z with Connie and Jarlet on Facebook, and at From A to Gen Z Pod on Twitter. Tune in next time for another episode of From A to Gen Z.